Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, Transformed. This series will look at people's encounters with Jesus and see how He transformed their lives forever. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here in the house. Good to see those of you who are here online. We're grateful that you are here today, that you've chosen to worship with us. We're in the middle of a series called Transformed. And we've been looking at how God transforms people's lives through Jesus. Jesus is the transformer. We've looked at how God has done that through people in Scripture. We're going to look at that again today. But we've also listened and heard the stories of of people that you know and love and how Jesus has transformed their life. So I've asked Drew Namnown if he would share how Jesus has transformed his life. So give him a good Valley Brook welcome. Thank you you very much. Thanks. Good morning, church. Um, So this is how Jesus has transformed my life. Quite simply put, he's removed fear and anxiety the unhealthy kind of fear and anxiety from my life. Um, I was brought up in the Catholic Church very, very loosely. I had a very basic understanding of the Ten Commandments, and it served as a moral compass for me in my younger years. Um, Everyone that was involved in raising me loved me and um, had a good childhood. However, I was kind of forced to grow up faster than my peers. Um, My parents were divorced when I was four. It was not nice. And I was often caught in the middle. I knew financials. I knew court case stuff. I knew all kinds of stuff. I struggled with um, learning disabilities. I have a bad memory, although I seem to know what I'm talking about now. (laughs) Um, And then ultimately, when I got to high school, I lost my father to cancer when I was 17. So I was really kind of forced to grow up. And as I moved around, I moved around often within Connecticut. I'm born and raised in Connecticut. um, Meeting new kids there's a lot of anxiety and fear, trying to fit in as I went from school to school. As I became a teenager and, and had to learn to be an adult really quick, that anxiety and fear of being on the street. You know, at that age, you either are successful or you live in a box out on the street. Um, and, and there was that constant fear. And then as I got older, just be, the fear and anxiety of being a good dad and a good husband and not recreating the past. Um, where I really found... My first real introduction to church was when I met my wife, Laura. And we started dating in 2006, and I started attending her church that she had grown up to. It was a Baptist church. And I was taken by the difference of, of what, how it was polar opposite of what I grew up with. Um, a pastor standing in front of, of the congregation talking about the trials and tribulations of life, uh, kind of in a conversational format, was a far cry from the up, down, kneel, sit, be quiet that I, I was used to growing up. Um, so that really brought, brought me into church. So I was kind of connected. Um, fast forward in 2015 when we moved to East Granby, we found Valleybrook. And we were taken by, obviously, the, the facility and Clark's messages. We would, on our way home, we would talk about Clark's messages. But for me, the thing beyond that, which was very important, Clark, <laughs> was the music. So I came here, and while I talk about how I had fear and anxiety... I didn't have words around that yet. I, I was just a weird guy. I was just overthink things, and there was no labels or words to kind of go around that. I just was always anxious. 
Well, when I started listening to the music, particularly no longer, no longer Slaves in Fight My Battles, which we played this morning, those spoke to me in a way that, that kind of told me I'm not alone in this, that there's someone with me, and that my faith can, can take peel away that anxiety. So I began to get involved in the church, started with the live nativity setup, started doing some men's breakfast, um, landscape team. And every time I would go to a function, I would fight myself. I'd say, I don't want to go. You know, again, anxiety, the fear, the fitting in, all that. And I just want to stay home. But every single time I did it, I was glad I did. I came back feeling fulfilled. I met some people. We maybe shared some stories. And I just felt better. And I felt more in touch with Jesus in, in faith. Um, that turned into trips to Hume, Mount Washington hikes. Became a youth group leader for the middle school boys. And then speaking of the Mount Washington hike, and I swear I, Peter did not pay me to talk about the Mount Washington hike. <laughs> but registration's still open. Um, <laughs> it was a couple of years ago, then the last hike that we were hiking, and I, brought, I mentioned that I know how to strum the guitar to a, a few of the guys. I don't really know how to play guitar, but I've strummed, I can play along with some things, and they encouraged me to join the, the, the worship team. Um, I was like, okay. I guess I could try it. And I, a little bit later, I realized, he said, well, we don't really need an acoustic guitar player. We need an electric lead guitar player. And that, that was far beyond my skill set. I didn't know how to do that. But it was around the time the pandemic was setting in. So we had a little extra time. And talk about no longer being a slave to fear. My unofficial audition for the worship team was at my place of employment. I was on a leadership team at one of the local hospitals. And... Not only was I going to play in front of strangers for the first time, but I was also going to do a Christian song at my place of employment. And like I said, it was the height of the pandemic. I was in the hospital. Um, and I felt, it felt on my heart people needed to hear something. They were getting free food every day and a lot of generous people, but they needed something else. So I offered to go perform in the lobby at Mercy Hospital, and I asked our, our former worship lead, leader if he would join me because I don't sing, you don't want to hear me sing. Um, and it was hugely successful. It felt great. The, re the response was awesome. People were singing that song throughout the hallways for days. In fact, we were asked to come back and do it again. And other colleagues performed Christian songs in, the, in that little program. So it was very gratifying. I then uh, joined the worship team and, and have learned in my way through. And I've really come to learn that... Um, I love, I love worshiping to him. That's how I worship. And the anxiety and the fear, be it on stage or in life, has diminished. Yeah, I get nervous here and there, but the unhealthy fear and anxiety that actually cripples you from doing things is gone because of my faith. I have the conversation with the Lord. And to kind of sum all this up and to wrap it up, being involved in church has carried with me. It's, it's woven itself into the fabric of my life. I can't quote scripture. I just don't have that ability. But I carry myself and I talk about my involvement with church and I talk about my faith in a casual way because you cannot know me without knowing my faith. Um, even at work, if I'm asked to do a presentation among strangers, do a slide to introduce yourself, whenever I introduce myself, some element of church is in there. Sometimes it's just in pure conversation of playing guitar. Oh, I play guitar on the worship team. I'm very involved in church. Or talking about really cool lawn maintenance equipment. It always kind of blends out. So, so Jesus has changed my life in not only removing the fear and anxiety, 
but also making it comfortable to share my story with people who are believers and who are non-believers. Because if they want to know me, that, that's me. That's the whole package. So, and I hope to inspire people along the way. Thank you, Drew. I think that's a message for, that many of us can relate to. Now, today's message is going to be tragically relevant. Um, this message uh, series was created a long time ago, uh, but why do I say it's going to be tragically relevant? Well, if you guys remember last weekend, uh, I believe there were five mass shootings around the country. Uh, one of those mass shootings was uh, definitely carried out by somebody who targeted black people. And so if you're thinking, it's like, wow, are, are we gonna deal with that topic that for some of us may feel like a social issue or a political issue? Well, it's not why we're dealing with it. You know, the, the answer is that for Christians, at the heart of this issue is a spiritual issue that comes up over and over and over in the Bible, from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, from the beginning to the end. And as I said, this message was planned before what happened happened last week. Uh, but, you know, we have to see in the scriptures today how Jesus transforms people. He even transforms followers of him who have prejudice and, and have bias. And so... He calls us to be reconcilers, reconcilers to God. And that means that we have to reconcile with all of our sinful tendencies that we as humans have. And when you study the Bible, and particularly when you study the teachings of Jesus and his life, you'll see that he calls people time and time again to Break down barriers that separate us. Break down the things that create prejudice and bias in us. And he calls us, you know, in one scripture, he, he says, you are the light of the world. Now, that's confusing to us because we say, wait a minute, no, Jesus is the light of the world. But he says that his body, the church, the body of Christ, all of us as believers are the light of the world. In other words, if we follow the light we will help spread the light of the world as his followers into the rest of the world. So let me begin this message with a, with a little bit of biblical history. After God created humanity in the world and, and, and after humanity wrecked the created order that God created through their own sin, we meet a man who eventually is called Abraham. And to get the world that God created back on track, God calls Abraham to go to a land that today we know is the land of Israel. And God tells Abraham that he will bless him and he will give him many descendants. But God also said that through Abraham, the entire world will be blessed. This, this happens in Genesis chapter 12. And so God is foreshadowing the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah would be from the family line of Abraham. And through the Messiah, God would and will and did save the entire world. Now, since we know God's plan and how it works out, because we have 20-20 hindsight, we can see how God blessed Abraham to be a blessing to others. 
generation after generation after generation. So God told Abraham that if he would live faithfully with him, he would make a covenant with him, a promise. And that the promise would be that he would give him more descendants than he could ever count. Specifically, this is what God said to Abraham. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. That's plural. So I want us to see that from the beginning, God planned for his family to be people from all nations, from all backgrounds, from all ethnicities. And this covenant was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and it is in him that we realize that the fulfillment of this covenant doesn't just happen through the physical descendants of Abraham, but it also happens through the spiritual descendants of Abraham. And again, it's all kinds of people that God brings together to become his family. Uh, the Apostle Paul helps us bring this full circle when he writes this in his letter to the Galatians. He says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the family. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. That's to all of us who claim Christ as our Lord and Savior. Pastor Derwin Gray writes about these specific scriptures. He says, as Abraham's family, we are to express our allegiance to Jesus by relying on God, the Holy Spirit, to encourage, empower, and equip us to live in oneness and unity as a testimony of the gospel. And he goes on and says, our ethnic differences are not obliterated, but in Christ, they are celebrated. Our socioeconomic differences in Christ become a pathway to mutual learning and cooperation. Our male-female differences are not blurred or erased. In Christ, they are embraced and complement one another to bring glory to God. With Abraham's family, when, when Abraham's family is unified in the person of Jesus, he writes, we become a portrait of the new world that Jesus unveiled in his resurrection. God's new world is a multi-ethnic, reconciled world of love, unity, and oneness. That's God's vision for the body of Christ. It's what we're supposed to help bring into being. So, I hope that gives you some uh, biblical understanding uh, about this multi-ethnic vision that God has always had for his family and that it's all united together in faith in Jesus Christ. And, and every week in this series, we've looked at how God has transformed someone's life. And today, we're going to look at the transformation of the Apostle Peter. So here's the first thing that I want you to know about Peter. Peter was fully devoted to Jesus. Let me just recount some of his story. He was the first person that Jesus called to join him as a disciple. And he did that after he performed a miracle in front of Peter that convinced him that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter's given name was Simon. That's what his mom and dad gave him. But Jesus gave him a nickname. That nickname is Peter, 
which means rock. And so Jesus seemed to find out that, that Peter was steadfast, that he was solid, that, that he was going to, to do whatever it takes to be fully devoted to follow Jesus. Now, just a quick read through the gospel shows us how often Peter shows up in Jesus' ministry. Let me just share with you, with you a sampling of Peter's prominence. Peter had Jesus over to his house. Peter trusted Jesus to help him walk on the water. He proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God. But when, when Jesus predicted his own death, Peter didn't understand that this was God's plan. And so Jesus had to rebuke him. When Jesus took Peter and the other disciples up on a mountain and was transfigured, Peter tried to take over the whole thing. Because at times, Peter struggled to understand some of Jesus' teaching. And of course, even though Peter said he would never deny Jesus, when Jesus was arrested, Peter did deny him to, to save his own skin. When, Peter, when Jesus was crucified and, and uh, when he saw the trial, when he saw he denied Jesus, he wept. But not surprisingly, he was one of the first disciples when he heard that Jesus was risen from the dead who ran out to see that the tomb was empty. P Peter was Jesus' right-hand disciple. He, he was the leader of the twelve. Uh, he was protective of Jesus and eager to follow Jesus. And at many times, he acted and spoke before he understood. But it was after, uh, but it was before the resurrection, excuse me, before Jesus' ascension, that something significant happened. Because remember, he had betrayed Jesus. He had denied that he knew him. And at that beach, after the resurrection, Jesus restored him as his follower and, and also as a leader. Now, when you go into the book of Acts, the, the history of the church, we see Peter leading the disciples. When the Holy Spirit was given by God to all the followers of Jesus, we read that people from all over the world believed. And the church, at that point, really became a multi-ethnic family of God. Uh, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, it says this. There were Parthians, Medes, Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Liberia near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. All of those people heard that. And it says on that day, Peter stood up full of faith, and he preached, and he called people to repent of their sins and to believe in Jesus, and it says 3,000 people became followers of Jesus that day. Later in the book of Acts, we see Peter heal a man at the temple in Jesus' name. Several times we see Peter arrested, and almost every time he's arrested, he preaches before the leaders that are accusing him of blasphemy, and he does it with boldness. Peter led the church and he called out sin in the church and he healed people. And, and interestingly too, Peter actually went to Samaria and preached to the Gentiles, people who weren't Jewish. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of everything Peter did, but it shows us that he was fully devoted to Jesus. But despite being fully devoted, Peter was not aware of his blind spots. Sort of the nature and definition of a blind spot is that we're, we're not aware of it. 
But think this through. Peter was raised in uh, first century Israel. It was a very ethnocentric world. He was steeped in the purity culture of first century Judaism. And not only did that include living a pure life, it also meant maintaining ethnic purity. Now, one example is that the, the Jewish people in the, of the first century and the Samaritans of the first century were, were, were hostile toward one another. They were people that, that didn't get along because the Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds because they had not married within their ethnic ethnicity. They, had, they were considered half-breeds because they had married Gentiles, non-Jews. Um, they weren't allowed to go to the temple to worship. They were considered unclean. So a Jewish person would not enter into a Samaritan's house, eat or drink the same utensils. Now, uh, think that through. You know, just put that in your mind. The first century Israel was really divided into two groups, two ethnic groups. You were either Jewish or you were Gentile. And, and Jews just didn't associate with Gentiles because they had to maintain their ethnic purity. That's what they were taught. Now, to illustrate this, if you go to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9, you'll see a time where Jesus and the disciples are traveling from Galilee to, Judea, to Jerusalem and they have to go through Samaria. And so Jesus says to some of the disciples, can you go ahead and arrange some accommodations for us in the next town, which happened to be a Samaritan town? And the Samaritans said, well, since you're headed to Jerusalem, knowing that they were going there to worship, we're, we're not going to give you any hospitality. So the disciples came back and they were fired up. They, they were mad. They, this is what they said to Jesus. Shall we call down fire from heaven on their village? I mean, I mean the disciples... And sometimes they just didn't get it that Jesus came to love all people. They wanted to, to basically destroy these Samaritans. And Jesus rebuked them. And of course, he didn't allow them to do that. Peter saw this. He, he had a front row seat to witness the words and the actions that were compassionate and loving for all people. For all people. Peter watched as Jesus demonstrated that God loved all people regardless of their race, their ethnicity, their gender, or their class. Peter witnessed time and time again as Jesus removed, broke down the barriers of prejudice in the way that he lived and loved all people. He saw Jesus embrace tax collectors and other sinners. He, he watched Jesus talk with and heal Samaritans and other Gentiles. He watched Jesus value and include women in a very patriarchal culture that only saw women as property. He was shocked when Jesus touched people with leprosy and other people that were unclean and, and healed them. And he was amazed when he saw Jesus have compassion for his enemies, whether they were Gentile or Jewish enemies. As we watch Peter go from a, a newly recruited disciple who still had the smell of fish on him to becoming a, a mature leader of the church, we see him grow. But he wasn't perfect. As I said, he had blind spots that, that actually made him, should we say, ignorant to his biases 
to, to his prejudices. In the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, we find Peter praying, and he goes up on the roof of the house. It's around noontime, so it's probably hot. You know there's a cool breeze up there, and uh, this is what we read happens. Peter became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds, and then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this actually happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back up into heaven. Now, at the same time, there was a Roman centurion named Cornelius who, who was led by God to seek out Peter. Now, Cornelius was a, a commander of a hundred soldiers and he was known as a God-fearing man, which meant in that culture that he, was, he wasn't a convert to Judaism, but he believed that there was one God and one God only as Judaism does. And he respected the moral and ethnic teaching of Judaism. And in a vision... Cornelius saw an angel tell him to go to Peter's house. And uh, Peter was supposed to tell him what the Lord wanted him to know. And so um, these men arrive at Peter's house where he's staying. And this is what happens. It says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision on the sheet that was lowered from heaven, the Spirit of God said to him, Simon, there are three men who are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and he said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, they said this, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. So Peter obeys the Holy Spirit. He travels to Cornelius' house. And amazingly, amazingly, Peter goes into, inside of a Gentile's home. And this is what we read, he says. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for you, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent me? So Cornelius tells Peter why he has sent for him. And Peter testifies to Cornelius and all the Gentiles in the house about how Jesus is the Savior of the world. How he died to pay for their sins so that they could be forgiven. And these non-Jewish people, these Gentiles that Peter once time, at one time would not associate with, much less visit, they put their faith in Jesus. They become followers of Jesus and they receive the Holy Spirit and, and Peter does what he's supposed to do. He baptizes them. And, and this is what Peter said about what happened here. He said, 
I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So what's happening here? Peter is being transformed in a personal area of sin where he had a blind spot. Peter saw how Jesus loved and welcomed all people, both Jew and Gentile. Peter, along with other disciples, had been commissioned by Jesus to make disciples, remember this, of all nations, and to be a witness for Jesus. And we read this in the book of Acts. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When the church grew... We read about this in, in the book of Acts. There actually became some ethnic tension. And it, and it happened where food was being distributed to the widows between the Greek or Gentile widows and the Hebrew or Jewish widows. And, and Peter, along with the other disciples, came alongside them and solved the problem and resolved the ethnic tension. Why? Because they're one in Jesus. But he was raised in a legalistic, ethnocentric culture. And that desire to remain pure was, was still inside him and, and can, continued to bother him. And in fact, he struggled with not following those food laws, those kosher food laws, keeping kosher. And, and attached to those food laws... That was his blind spot. There was this latent sin of prejudice in his heart regarding not eating with Gentiles and not entering their homes because, remember, he had been taught that if you're not Jewish, you're unclean. And you know, as it is with most latent things, it took a while for him to recognize that. And as it is, honestly, with latent prejudice and bias, it took him a while to recognize this and deal with his bias against Gentiles. In fact, the apostle Peter, uh, Paul writes about an encounter that he had with Peter, and we read it in the book of Galatians, and this is what we read. When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So let me unpack something here just for a minute. So remember in Judaism, the, the, the sign of being a follower of God in Jewish culture was the sign of circumcision. When, when Jesus came and fulfilled all the law and all the prophets, he gave a new sign. That sign was baptism. But Peter's still struggling with this because uh, there was a group in the church, they were Christians, but they still hung on to the Jewish law. And they believed that to become a Christian, a Gentile would first have to become Jewish, which would entail 
circumcision. Now, what these people were teaching was false doctrine. And they were teaching that salvation doesn't come just by grace, but that it also comes by doing good works or good deeds. In this case, the, the good work of, of circumcision. Paul knew this was a false teaching. And so in, in front of all of these people, the apostle Paul calls out Peter's hypocrisy and his prejudice saying this, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? Interesting, he uses the word traditions, isn't it? He doesn't say law anymore. And there it was. Peter's prejudice was laid bare before both his Jewish and his Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. Calling out Peter's hypocrisy was important because the prejudice he was modeling not only hurt his fellow Christians, but it poisoned others to embrace that prejudice and bias. People like Barnabas, who actually for a time embraced this prejudicial view. Now, because of this confrontation, I believe that Peter came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and Peter's prejudice was transformed by Jesus. Now, how do I know that Peter's prejudice was transformed? Well, historians, historians will tell us that this confrontation happened with Peter in Antioch in the year 48 AD. And just a year later, in the church, there was a council where they met to actually deal with this false teaching and the, the prejudicial treatment of Gentile Christians. And it's recorded in the book of Acts chapter 15. And so we know that there were Jewish Christians teaching that you had to follow the Jewish purity laws and you had to be circumcised to be saved. And, and clearly, this created a conflict because it was false teaching. It was wrong. So Paul and his fellow missionaries in Antioch go to Jerusalem to meet with all of the apostles and the elders of the church to deal with this issue. They made reports. There were debates. There was discussion. And then we see in the book of Acts, that Peter got up to speak. And this is what he said. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. God did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. That's Peter's transformation in full view, in black and white in the scriptures. Uh, we know he believed that you didn't have to become a Jew to be saved. You, he knew that you could no longer discriminate between followers of Jesus based on their ethnicity. You know, we read earlier what the Apostle Paul said. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. So, yes, we all have differences, 
And we should celebrate those differences. But we are all one. We're equal in Christ. We are all saved by Christ. We're all valued and beloved children of God. We are brothers and sisters because of Jesus Christ. We celebrate our differences, but there's a oneness that we have to maintain. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. God wants us all to be transformed into new creations. And for most of us, it doesn't happen all at once. It's a process like Peter went through. You know, in my own life, I went through a similar process that Peter went through. I was raised in a culture where discrimination and prejudice and bias was, was honestly openly accepted and embraced by most of the culture. But somehow, by the grace of God, even though I had been immersed in that culture, I, I saw the blatant and the obvious discrimination, and I, and I recognized it was wrong, and, and I rejected it. And I, I felt good about that decision, like I, I think we all would when we see blatant and obvious discrimination. But slowly, God began to reveal to me that there was a, a more hidden, a, a latent, a subtle prejudice in me. And it, and it began to, to come out uh, uh, as I would judge people of different ethnicities or genders or socioeconomic statuses who, who went through difficult experiences. And I thought, well, they should just do what I do as if they could do everything that I did based, because we're all different people. You know, I was judging them based on those differences. And slowly, God began to give me significant conversations with different people, with uh, people of different ethnicities, with, with people of different genders, with my wife, with people from different social experiences, different uh, economic experiences, and, and I began to realize that our experiences were different and that I needed to listen and I needed to care for them and love them and not try to fix them as, as sometimes I was prone to want to do. I, I realized that what was going on was that my ignorance was being exposed, my, my prejudice, my, my bias, my, my judgment of others because they were different than me. Honestly, initially, it was embarrassing to, to, to own up to that. But I realized I had to embrace the fact that I was wrong and I needed to be transformed into a new creation like Jesus wants for all of us who believe in him and follow him. You know, what we've been looking at in Scripture right now is a pretty hot topic in our world. Uh, and it can become highly divisive. But at the core of this issue, I don't believe it's political. I don't believe it's social. For, for followers of Jesus, it, it's a spiritual issue. It, it's at the core of the gospel that we are supposed to in love, that we're supposed to love and accept all people, even people who aren't believers. We're supposed to love and accept them, regardless of, of their differences. Jesus said that people would know we are his disciples if we love one another. And so we're called to do that. 
You know, sometimes I, I feel like it's, a, it's naive for me to say this, but I really truly believe it. That, that if we would just set aside uh, all the talking heads from our culture, all the, uh, the anger and rage and politics and social media, and if we would just tune it out and we would do what Jesus calls us to do, body of Christ, you and me, and, and all the other believers, we would be part of changing the world like Jesus wants to do it. And here's the deal. It takes us making that decision, honestly, one moment at a time, one situation at a time, one day at a time, but being intentional about thinking that through. And you know what? We're going to goof up. We're going to make mistakes. And that's okay. But when we do, we need to apologize to the person that we may have made the mistake to. And obviously, we need to ask God for forgiveness. We see in the life of Peter, a man who was transformed. He was on fire for Jesus. He was sold out for him. But he wasn't perfect, and none of us is. But when Jesus revealed that latent prejudice in his life, he let Jesus transform it. And we need to do the same. So I, I want to pray for that for all of us in this room and online. And, and I want to pray that we would let Jesus transform us in, the, in whatever area of our life that we need that. But particularly in this area where we're not loving all people the way we're supposed to. We're not caring for them. If we do that, there will be a radical transformation, not just in our lives, but in the lives of every person in our circle of influence because they will see the difference in us that only Jesus can do. Now, as I pray for us, I'm gonna pray for that transformation, but I also need to say that on the front end of this, if you've not decided to believe in Jesus and follow him, it starts there because he'll come into your life and he won't, he won't tear your life up, but he'll transform you and he'll reveal things to you and you will have the opportunity to follow him in those areas. So if you would, bow your heads, let's pray. God, we thank you for the transformation of Peter. We thank you for the call where he accepted to believe and trust in you. And so Lord, I pray right now for anybody who's never believed in you and trusted in you, that if you want to do that now, I'm gonna encourage you to pray these words silently back to Jesus and then I'll conclude this entire prayer for us. But for those of you who wanna put your trust and faith in Jesus, just say this to God. God, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins and I believe he rose again from the dead and now I wanna follow him all the days of my life. And we'll say amen to that, but recognize that the transformation in your life has begun now. So Lord, I pray for each one of us. Lord, we have blind spots. There are things that we don't see that you need to reveal to us. And so Lord, uh, we trust you. We know that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will do that and you will transform us. And you'll help us be messengers of the love of Christ with our words and our actions. And you will change the world through your sons and daughters. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.